Who says people can't multitask? For the founder of the Nico car seat cover and part-time NBC News correspondent, it's pretty much another day at the office. The climb to the top feels so good when you get there. Is it just us or can it feel lonely sometimes, even when you're successful? And who defines success anyway? What about life's twists and turns? We've learned a few things along the way, and we're ditching the culture of competitiveness. Bringing together women from different backgrounds to share their stories. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three podcast. Hi, this is Rishia Candidate Kapasuris here with Audrea Fink and Julie Holton. We are your Think Tank of Three. In this episode, we are talking to a real superwoman. Gina Kim, mom, entrepreneur, and reporter who came, saw, and conquered pretty much everything she put her mind to. Women, we all want to know what has driven Gina and kept her constantly looking to that next great idea. Gina, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. And whenever I hear an intro like that, I, <laughs> I always think to myself, I, I am just like everyone else. I put my pants on one leg at a time and I, I look like a 13 year old boy when I wake up <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I can't ever figure out what 15% is on a, a meal receipt tab. So right? it's hard. I know <laughs> I I'm, I'm with you all. I, I'm not superwoman, And trust me, everybody in my family would be like superwoman who? So uh, but thank you. Thank you. It's lovely being here. Hey, we speak truth. We speak truth. And let's face it, um, you do not know how to sit still. You never have. I've known you for many years. Founder of Worldwise Productions, love the name. Creator of the Nico Car Seat Cover that you can find on Amazon, by the way. NBC News Channel and MSNBC West Coast Part-Time Correspondent. <laughs> and just for giggles, she speaks four languages pretty much awesome wrapped in. So whatever you just heard her say about, you know, I can't figure out 15%, whatever. <laughs> let's, uh, let's start, however, with Worldwise Productions. Uh, let's share with everyone of how that came into being. So I was full-time with NBC being a journalist. Um, that was pretty much the path that I thought I was going to be on for the rest of my life. Um, and it started pretty early. It started in high school. You know, I was like a copy editor of my school newspaper. And then I was at the Daily Bruin when I was at UCLA. And so I was like, yep, this is the path for me. I'm going into journalism and I'm staying there. Well, 2006, you know, the recession was starting to show its ugly head. And I swear to you, every day I'd come into the NBC News West Coast Bureau and somebody would say, oh, did you hear John just got laid off? Oh, did you hear Robert is now gone? And I was getting so scared. I don't know if anybody else in the audience remembers those days, but like 2006, 2007, the signs were already there. And of course, 2008 was just like, ah. So my brother, who uh, Risha is also good friends with, and I are both in the news business and he shoots and edits uh, and does anything technical. And I'm a writer and reporter. And, you know, I, I felt like I had that side squared away. And so we're like, hey, all of our friends are getting laid off. We want to have a plan B, plan C, plan D. So let's just go ahead and start a video production company. I mean, come on, we know how to do videos, right? I mean, it airs nationally, it airs locally. What could possibly go wrong? So 
we just decided to start a video production company, not knowing who our audience was, not knowing who we were going to sell our product to or anything like that, how to even start a business. Um, but we just got a website together, printed a bunch of brochures, printed a bunch of letterheads, most of which is now still sitting in my garage because, you know, nobody uses letterheads anymore. And then we told everybody, we blitzed out to anybody and everybody that we knew that we started a production company. Hey, do you need a video? Just let us know. Lo and behold, two weeks later, a friend of mine who happens to be a media relations person at UCLA Health, she used to pitch me on all the research that came out of UCLA and asked me to do stories on those at NBC News. She picked up my email and said, oh, somebody here at UCLA is trying to make training videos. Do you do training videos? And my answer, of course, was, of course we do training videos. I mean, come on, you know, never done a training video in my life, but I was like, well, yeah. So I got on the phone with this woman and uh, she's just like, yeah, we're doing blah, blah, blah. I need 10 videos. So we're like, got it. <laughs> with like no <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Ready for you. <laughs> yep. Been there, done that. Um, so a little bit of gumption, a little bit of lying. Anyway, maybe fudging is the better word. Uh, confidence. Yeah, I did. I confidence. confidence. Gumption. You knew, you knew you could do it. That's almost as good as having done it. Yes, that is kind of how I uh, approach my life a little bit, as you'll find out through this interview, is I, I tend to just do it and then like ask permission and forgiveness later. I love it. My brother and I started the company. We, two weeks into starting the company, got some orders, made about $48,000 that first year. Um, and that was 2008. And then 2009, we made 100,000. And we both still had our full-time jobs. And then 2010, we made 200,000. And so we were like, okay, I think we're onto something. And that's when I really tapered off from NBC News and, and decided really to just do breaking news and entertainment news and stuff that's very West Coast, earthquakes and fires and the likes, and decided to devote most of my time to the production company. And, and in 2011, my brother, who was just like, eh, I'm not ready to give up KABC yet, decided to just stick with KABC full time. And that forced me to hire a director of photography because I don't know anything about shooting, editing, any of that. And that was one of the best things I did. You know, it felt like a little bit of a divorce from my brother when he stepped away because, you know, we have no filters. We have no barriers. We don't really have to be formal with each other. I just go, hey, this came up. Let's just do it. You know, and now I had my first full-time employee and that scared me to death. I was like, how am I going to pay payroll? What laws do I have to know about hiring somebody other than a family member? But I bit the bullet knowing that we were doubling our revenue and I was just like, it's, it's just going to work. And I just like, you know, lost a lot of hair and you know, a, lot, a lot of worrying later. He not only brought in his salary, but almost double his salary. And he is still with me today. He ended up being one of the best things I ever did, hiring a full-time employee. So one of the takeaways that I, that, I, that I still treasure to this day about that experience is, I am not afraid to hire employees. I have known now that every employee, we're now five of us full-time, every employee that I've ever brought on has brought on their salaries worth of revenue and then some. And so now um, we are kicking butt and doing better than ever. Um, COVID did hit us a little bit hard, 
but believe it or not, just this summer alone, we have made up for the lost revenue that we had during COVID. So I feel like we're on the right track. People like what we do and it's, a, it's, it's kind of worked for us. And so it's now year 12 that we've had Worldwise Productions. Awesome. Congratulations. That's Thank you. quite the success story. So what is the focus of your production company? What, like you, you know, when you started, you were just like, yeah, I can do that. Have you grown and sort of shifted and focused or are you still like, whatever comes through the door? Yes, that would be true. All of the above. So, you know, <laughs> pretty soon people were like, oh, do you do this? And of course I was like, well, yes. And then do you do that? Yes. And so in the beginning, you just say, yes, 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 yes. And you learn as you go. And the good thing about starting a business during the recession is you almost couldn't go wrong, right? Because it's like, even if you had zero money, it's like everybody's in the same boat. So we felt very little pressure during the recession to perform. Um, and so that really helped us kind of, you know, throw anything at the wall and see what stuck. But we primarily just through UCLA being our first client, and then ordering tons and tons of videos from that point on, ended up being a very healthcare-focused video production company that now does videos for a huge number of healthcare companies as well as academic medical centers like UCSF, UCI, University of Chicago Medicine, Stanford Health. And we do training videos, uh, promotional videos, like program debut videos, patient education videos, but honestly, we have a good, a good number of also just commercial clients where we debut their latest product or we do a Kickstarter video for their latest invention. Um, we also have a lot of nonprofit clients that ask us to do like very emotional, invested, engaging content that really helps bring the fundraising dollars. So I'd say we, we literally do everything and anything, but you know, we're not that company that does Coke commercials or Samsung or, you know, Nissan driving next to a car with, you know, a helicopter. We, we don't do, we're not quite at that level yet. And we don't do features. We don't do music videos. We're squarely in the corporate and um, commercial space. One of the things I love about the story you just told was how balls to the wall. You kind of just went, you were like, yes, I'm going to do it. We can do it. We can do it. So regularly, it's so common to hear women say, oh, well, I just, you know, I wasn't qualified enough or I didn't make all the qualifications or I didn't have my plan laid out. And so I didn't do anything. In fact, they wait for it to be perfect and for the situation to be safe before jumping in. And what I love hearing is you were like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out along the way. And I think that that ability to be comfortable, if you will, with the unknown is amazing. And I think you see really great things come from people who are willing to be like, let's try it, see what happens. Well, and if I could say just one thing about that, I have a friend who's been trying to start a business and she has a business, but she's that type of person that is like, you know, dip your toe in the water. Is it the right temperature? Wait, is it the right acidity? Um, is there any murkiness below? You know, and she's constantly dipping her toe, then dipping her foot, then dipping her ankle. And then 10 years goes by, you know, and, and nothing's really happened. And I do, just like what you were saying, I do find a lot of people and especially women, because we're, we're overthinkers just kind of by nature and right. you know, very organized and everything has to be in a box. Um, we, we tend to over, 
think starting something that we've never done before. And I understand that is completely, you know, like just fear inducing. And I did have a, a very much an identity crisis when I decided to go from journalist, which I've ever been my entire life to businesswoman. you know, I, I've never been one. And so it, it was, I, I remember being a, a little bit depressed and just questioning who I was and everything. But what I do that I do think serves me well is I do dip my toe in that water and then I jump in because I know I can swim. Do a little bit more of that. As long as you know you can swim. You know, if you can swim a little bit, don't drown the first time out. Right, you know? right. But <laughs> if you kind of know how to swim already, don't spend 10 years dipping your toes and going, my business plan isn't done yet. Well, what about my marketing plan? What about the research into the industry? Just jump in. I feel like that's directed at me. <laughs> no, no, you got two babies, girl. That's a whole other thing. No, but I, I, I fight that myself. I do. I, I fight that whole having the right timing for everything. And, and, and then there's, and then yes, when you throw in the other aspects of stuff, but, but it's, it's, it's real. It's a real battle. You have to, you have to step out of that comfort zone. And that's, I think one of the amazing things about Eugenia is, you put that fear in a box, you set it off to the side and you say, I don't have time for you right now. I do think we have to do a little bit of that because otherwise fear does paralyze us. Gina, I also wonder how much, I mean, you, you report for NBC News. I wonder though, Gina, how much of your, your time in news helped you to become this businesswoman as well because you learned how quickly things can change. I mean, look at what we're all going through now and how quickly we've had to transition and how quickly we've had to change our business models and, and change our whole plans for 2020. Whether you're a business person or not, folks who are listening, we've all had to throw out our plans for 2020. But I wonder, Gina, how much your experience as a reporter helped you prepare for becoming a businesswoman. I do agree with that. I, very few people are TV reporters or reporters in general. And so I don't want anybody listening to this to say, well, I mean, of course she could do it because she, you know, uh, had to report on a school shooting on a dime. I mean, I, I, I'm, I was one of the first reporters. Um, I was the first reporter on the scene when John Denver died up in Salinas, Monterey. Um, I was the first reporter on the scene when the Santana High School shooting happened. And then uh, there were first, first reporter on the scene when that guy, Aaron Ralston, remember, had to cut off his own arm because a boulder uh, trapped it in, yeah. in Moab. When you have five minutes after you get out of the truck to go live, you do learn to think on your feet. You do have to be comfortable with things changing every two minutes. You're constantly improvising as a reporter. You, you tend to get good at communication, right? Which is a key element to starting a business. Unless you're able to really hone in on what it is that you do and perfect a bit of an elevator speech for whoever you might meet to pitch your business to, it's, it's difficult if you have that apprehension. And so I think, I do think that combination of characteristics that made me become a reporter and that I refined and intensified uh, during my reporting career definitely helped me be a business person. But I would say that all of us have that. We just haven't been encouraged to like, you know, shout it out to the world like I have in my career. Um, but, but almost nothing you do can be catastrophically wrong. 
But if you don't do it, it might hold you back to where you're stymied for the rest of your life. So I would err on the side of being bold and loud and just doing it. I love that so much. And I'm going to repeat back what you were just saying, Gina, so that our women who are listening can connect the dots here because you're right. You don't have to be a journalist to be able to become a businesswoman, but you're talking about being able to adapt quickly. How many moms do we know are the fastest at adapting quickly on the fly? Um, And whether you're a mom or not, but we're talking about being able to see a situation for what it is and make a split split second decision, being able to communicate with people around you. And you also, the third thing you mentioned, Gina, is being fearless. I, as, as the executive producer who was often on the other side of the camera, communicating with someone like you out in the field, I know that it's not fearlessness. It looks fearless on camera. So when you're watching TV, it looks like reporters are fearless, right, ladies? But there's still adrenaline, there's still nerves, there's still the what ifs. And so it's being able to put that, Risha, like you said, put it in a box, kind of fake it till you make it, have that mm-hmm. confidence, even if you're building yourselves up before you, before you dive in. Yep. But absolutely, Gina, that, that was beautiful. Um, I also have to ask you, how is being a national correspondent not your main gig? <laughs> because we've talked about this, but that is like, oh, I do that part time. Right? <laughs> I think when you have a personality like mine where... Uh, you know, I, I, I do things and then I ask questions later. It, it does tend to make you butt heads in a newsroom. A newsroom is, as Risha can tell you, and uh, apparently as you, as you can, you know, testify to, is a very politically charged place. And one thing that you say or do to somebody or didn't do could get you in a, a place where now you're the unfavored reporter, you know, or something. I was just tired of that. I was told one time, um, and I will name her because even if she's still at NBC News, I don't care. (laughs) Elena Nakmanoff was the primary, and I don't know if she still is, the primary talent recruiter for NBC News. Back when I was just like, I'm good enough for nightly news. I'm good enough for the Today Show. Why am I, you know, at MSNBC and News Channel only? I'd go up to her at the Asian American Journalist Association conventions and say, Elena, why am I not being promoted to the top shows? And she pulled me aside, and I remember this conversation distinctly, and had the balls to say to me, Gina, you're just not my type. You don't look like what I look for. You don't sound like what I look for. Look on NBC Nightly News. Look on the Today Show. You'll see what I look for. That's like bleak. That was yep. <laughs> the Hello. best thing she could have said to me. Because I was just like, F this. Somebody telling me what I'm worth, whether I look like what I'm supposed to look like, whether I talk like I'm supposed to talk like, when I could get vacations, when I wake up, all that stuff. Somebody else telling me all of this, what I'm worth, what my title is, I was over it. And that is truly when my heart kind of left the industry. And I said, I'm better off forging ahead on my own. And so when the production company took off, I was really like, I think this is a sign that I need to embrace this. And I am so glad I did. I know being a reporter sounds like a dream job, but no matter what your job is, 
it can turn sour after a while. Mm-hmm. And you it just can wear tired. on you. It can absolutely wear on you. Wear on you. And so um, I would say if you can start your own gig, wow, that's the best thing I've ever done. And, and fortunately, NBC News is still willing to let me be part-time and do a, a, like breaking news as they happen, entertainment news as they happen, West Coast news as they happen. So, you know, I'll take that couple days a month um, just so I can keep my name on that, you know, the peacock on my business card, uh, which does get me far, mm-hmm. right? Being part-time NBC News correspondent carries a lot more weight than being, you know, principal of Worldwide Productions. When Gina told me that story way back when, I was floored. And, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm sorry. What is she looking for? Is she not looking for talent? Is she not looking for a phenomenal reporter? Is she not looking for someone who speaks clearly? Because I'm really not sure what that means, even though we all knew what that what meant. That means. It's utterly frustrating. But I find it interesting, and I was going to ask you then, why, why do you continue with this reporting side of the gig? And, and I, think, I think you found a way to make it perfection in that you've got this full, robust company in Worldwide Productions, and yet you still have this full, robust foot within reporting. And, you're, and it's reporting real stuff. It's reporting the fires that are going on. It's reporting the drama in, in the world right now, in the country, you went to the Olympics, you covered the part-time and she's covering the Olympics part-time. I mean, that's, you know, how are you able to avoid that pull? Because I feel like I don't presume to think that I contribute much to the newsroom, but there are very few Asian Americans on camera at the network level. And I feel like if, if I can represent just a little bit of that once in a while, where they see a Gina Kim appearing on TV. And then every once in a while, I can bring the perspective of what I am as the daughter of Korean immigrants, as a businesswoman into the story that I'm covering. I feel like that's something that other reporters cannot do. And so as long as they'll have me, I feel like I have something to contribute and I would like to do that. And, and also it keeps me sharp. It keeps my reporting and communication skills sharp. And you do contribute quite a bit. You you contribute quite a bit to that newsroom in that short amount of time that you are in there because you're a professional and you're a damn good reporter. And representation matters. It matters. It's so important for us to to be showing that there is something other than what Elena Nachmanoff thinks is correct. Whatever she's looking for, yeah. I want to touch base real quick on something as, as you were talking about this balance between running a company and being in this industry that is not necessarily trying to be for you and you are making it. How does your mental health interact with this? Do you feel like you're able to put those things in a box and process it? As I'm thinking like you're the first to a school shooting, that's that's a lot, right? Like there's a lot of emotional stuff that happens in the news and you're seeing a lot of that. And then you're switching to running a company and you also, I'm sure, have some weight from being, you know, a Korean American in the U.S., which has not always been, well, it's still not always. We, we're pretty racist in this country, so sure. <laughs> we'll just not try to sugarcoat it. So how, how does your mental health play into that? How do you manage? And I have a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> 
Of course. So I would say that he takes up the biggest part of my bubble, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is a lot. I am, I think, good at pulling myself above it all. When I find myself like, because <gasps> I feel like the hamster in a, in a ball that's this big, I try to go, all right, just chill the F out, Gina. And I step back and I think about where things are. And when you go above, you realize that that neighborhood that seems so crowded is actually pretty small. And so I try to go above and I think about women who are handling a heck of a lot more than I am. So lately, believe it or not, I think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. If you guys watched her documentary and the movie about her life, that freaking woman stayed up until 2 a.m. every day, woke up at 6 a.m., did her husband's papers for Harvard Law School because he, he had cancer, and then like fed and got her children off to school, and then worked at a law firm three times as hard as the men there because she's, she was a woman and she had to prove something. I, when I think of women like her, I think, okay, I can get a grip on this. I also have a friend, Kelly Lim. She had horrible meningitis when she was eight years old. She has only one left arm and two fingers. She has no legs. She's missing her right arm at the elbow. She not only got a degree in medicine, she became a pediatrician, so had to finish that fellowship in residency. Then she's like, "Mm, pediatrics, not so much for me. She then went on to uh, complete a residency and fellowship in allergy medicine. And now she's an allergist specialist at UCLA Health. And she has twins. And she has a husband who's like a rocket scientist. Like a literal rocket scientist. Is a literal rocket scientist. He worked worked at SpaceX. So I look at her where she, she told me one time she can't even put her hair in a ponytail. So she was trying to figure out a way to put her hair in a ponytail by herself. And I said to myself, Gina, shut the F up. Yeah. Like you look at women like her and you can't do your own stuff. Uh -uh, Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I don't, I try not to make excuses for myself because that is an endless proposition. I can make excuses for myself all day long, but I look at women like her and RBG and I go, "Mm -mm, not going there, not playing the violin today. I'm just okay. I know, right? I'm like, I, I stay there. I, I stay in awe. Let's just awe. sit here and bask in the bask in, in the greatness of Gina Kim. I love it. I love it. Lisha loves me. She's a little biased. <laughs> I have reason to be. I've got good taste in friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so reporter, principal of your own production company. Where do these Nico car seat covers come into play? When Nico was two, my son, he was starting to eat in the car. And he was always doing this thing where he's like, I'm done with the yogurt, take it. And, you know, I'm driving 70 miles an hour down the freeway and I'm like, whoa, and like, you know, trying not to crash. And then he was like dropping goldfish like there was no tomorrow and all the crevices and cup holders. And, you know, if he was done with his ice cream or chocolate, he would just smear it on the seat. And I was just like, ah! I just, I just had enough. And I looked for a solution on Amazon and ordered 
whatever it was that I could find and found that they all popped off the seat or covered over the cup holders, didn't have any pockets. Like it, they were not elegant solutions to what I was looking for. Plus a day at the beach and him like not being able to hold his potty when he was potty training just sealed the deal. I was like, all right, I got to figure this out. I just randomly called the sewing company, the sewing repair company in my town and said, you must know seamstresses. Do you know a seamstress? And they were like, well, okay, yeah, like just call Barbara, you know? So I called Barbara at her home. And I was like, I know you're head of the quilting association of Simi Valley, and I know you're busy, but can you make something for me? And she was like, sure, go right ahead. She charged me $50. As long as I brought three towels that I bought at, you know, whatever, took them over to her, took my car seat to her, and she stitched the three towels together in a pattern that would fit the car seat. And I was like, this looks good. And then I thought to myself, I can't sell this. I wanna sell this, because there's other moms out there that need this. So being Korean, there's a lot of Koreans in the garment industry here in LA. <laughs> One of them happened to be the person who makes everything for Kirkland, Abercrombie Fitch, and Nordstrom. He owns a huge company in Long Beach. So I got referred to him through my Korean connections. And he was like, are you kidding me? I have four kids. This is great. Why doesn't this already exist? So he kind of took me under my wing, his wing. And I got super lucky because he didn't charge me anything to create the prototypes that were good enough to put on store shelves. And so once I had the prototype, his company helped me make the first 2000. And then I started a Kickstarter campaign. And then we transitioned to Amazon and oh my God, I thought I was about to die. I, I thought Amazon would kill me. I really did. I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I've never been in retail in my life. Amazon is like the Titanic and they were asking me to operate the ship and I had never sailed before. So, it, uh, you know, many, many gray hairs later, we got on Amazon. And now I'm happy to say two years later, we're at about 400 sales a month. So it's, it's not anywhere near, you know, where a lot of Amazon products are selling, but 400 items a month at $39.99 each. To me, two years out with just me and one little gal uh, helping me out, I consider that a victory. And I just want to build on that and go from there. And still to this day, if you Google children's car seat covers, you will see that there is nothing out there except the Nico. And it has like the cup holder openings. It has a waterproof bottom. It has two pockets on each side for that, you know, banana. They're always trying to hand you on the freeway. They could just stick it in there yep. and you take it off, yep. wash it, put it right back on. I'm so excited. We have so many moms who listen and I know so many moms and I never know what to get people who have kids because I don't have kids. So I'm always like, here's a gift card. But like now I have a new thing. Now I have a new thing. I'm so stoked. And it's a great thing. I, I got one. I mean, I don't, I don't need them anymore because thank gosh, we've gotten through that potty training stage and everything. And I just reached a point where I was like, you know, you're not allowed to eat in here anymore. Forget it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you can do that. You know, but her, there, it's awesome. It, it, once again, Gina just, she thinks that she does it. And this incredible think it, do it attitude, 
I really would love to know, you, you, say, you said you have a six-year-old son. Yeah. What are you, and I know we have so many parents who listen, so many moms, and we're constantly, and, and I'm not a mom either, but I'm, I'm an aunt, and so I'm constantly trying to think in terms of what am I teaching the little kids? And so what, you know, I think this is just so incredible that your son is growing up in this world where he sees his mom has an idea and she makes it happen. And, and I just, I absolutely love that. How are you, how are some of these lessons translating for him right now at, at his age? You know, truth be told, he would probably prefer a mommy who doesn't do these things, right? Because he wants more mommy time. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that is something that does prick at my heart when I think about all the things that I'm juggling and how really, you know, 24 seven, he probably would like me to be that mom that doesn't do those things. But I can say that later on when he's older and understands what it is that his mom did, and named a company after him and was able to translate ideas into products or services or businesses. I think he will appreciate that that is something he also has innately in him. And just like I was able to do it at a time when, you know, who knows what the internet or, you know, cell phones or devices or technology is going to be when he's my age trying to do these things. He'll be like, I can't believe my mom did that when, we only had 5G, you know. <laughs> we were only at iPad 4. How did she do that, you know? I, I, I feel like these are lessons that'll pop when he's older. But what I do want to say about moms is that because we're able to juggle so much as it is being a mom, and Risha can tell you all about this, I can literally stir the scrambled eggs while I am cleaning the counter with my other hand, you know, like you just learn how to multitask it in a crazy way. And we as moms figure out that something's not efficient. This isn't happening fast enough for me to be able to feed my child or do this with my child. And we just like go, wouldn't it be great if blankety blank. And then because we have kids and lives, we can't take action on those ideas. But if you did, I guarantee you it will pay off. So that is, that is the thing that I can say about being a mom and juggling and what my son thinks. And listen, even if you were able to spend all of your time with little Nico, little Nico would still feel that it's not enough time. That's true. It's, there's, there's no such thing as, um, you know, the, you know, Chris Sonia and I will sit and play, you know, <laughs> which means I'm giving up some, a bunch of other things that need to get done to say, okay, I'm going to dedicate this time to you. And let's say an hour has gone by and I'm like, okay, mommy needs to go work on X, Y, and Z. And literally 20 seconds have gone by. She's in my, mommy, you have to play with me. And it's like, I, listen, <laughs> I can't dedicate the entire day just to you. At some point you're going to want to eat. <laughs> at some point you're going to need some clean underwear at some point mommy's got to get her other work done that's not necessarily attached to you your dad your brother this house so you're never going to win that argument <laughs> you're never yeah. going to win that argument but there was an article that talked about the working mom and how if if the parents who were working devoted specific quality time to their children the children fared no differently than parents who had 
stay-at-home time. It, it, it is less about the quantity of time you spend with your kids and more about the quality of time. So, you know, he might not love that you're not around all the time because he loves his mom, but he will benefit from having having had a mom who was so invested in the, in making a life for him and also spending quality time, right? Spending that one hour of undivided attention versus 15 hours of constantly divided attention. Yes, I do try to put my device away mm-hmm. when I am with him and I'm fully present to him. That is something that I can give him and I do. You know, in all of this that you've done, in, in all of these adventures, these, these work models, the news, the Nico car seat, Worldwide Productions. Let's face it, you have met so many people in doing all of this. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, the relationships that you have been able to develop because of everything that you just are just doing that just puts you in, in the face. Listen to what you just said with regards to getting the car seat prototype underway from yet another connection. Yes. And relationships, many people will tell you is the key to everything. If you have people who think you're a complete schmuck and you've never done anything for them because it was all about you, you will not get the help you need to be able to do what you need to do. If you think you can do everything by yourself, maybe, but it's so much easier when you have help along the way. When I started Worldwise, I had a great relationship with that media relations officer at UCLA Health. She launched me with the Nico, just like uh, Risha was saying. It was that Korean connection that I had, but that person was willing to refer me to his friend, Dan Kang, because he liked me. If you don't have that relationship building skill, I'm not sure that you'll have the help you need to get you to mile 23. You know what I mean? You, maybe you can make it to mile 20 on your own. How, how many miles is a marathon? 23 miles, right? 20, I don't know. I've never attempted 20, it. 26.2. 26. Yeah. <laughs> the last six miles I heard are killer, mm-hmm. right? Like you are just like dying. When you get to that point, you need somebody to hand you that water and cheer you on. And that's what relationships will do for you. I, I can just imagine a bunch of women out there freaking out about being like, well, I'm not that likable, or I don't know how to be likable, or, or maybe I'm an introvert. And I don't think likability is specifically about being everybody's cup of tea. I can guarantee you the four women on this podcast right now are not everybody's cup of tea. But likability comes from being able to build that relationship. It comes from asking questions, from being interested in them, uh, from People love talking about themselves. So if you can ask questions and people can tell you the answer, they're going to remember you as someone who made them feel good. Building relationships and being likable to the people who are your people, that's what's going to build that network that is going to be so valuable because network is so important. But you don't have to, don't stress about not being like everybody's favorite or the popular kid. That, that is not what makes likability. Absolutely. But someone can see right through you mm-hmm. when you're not interested in them. Yes. So exactly like what you were saying, if you find yourself regularly coming away from a conversation and somebody else did all the asking and you didn't bother to even ask that person a question about themselves, right? check, check in with yourself mm-hmm. once in a while and go, huh, I just told them my whole life story. 
And I didn't find out anything about them. I don't even remember their name. I don't remember their name. <laughs> right? You yeah. didn't do a good job there. A previous yeah. guest on this show that these wonderful ladies interviewed, who happens to be um, the big sister I never had, Shannon Owens-Jones, actually just sent me a book uh, recently about marketing relationships specifically. And she, like you, is phenomenal about mm developing those relationships. As a matter of fact, she's the direct link to, to how I'm with yeah. this podcast now <laughs> because of developing relationships and um, keeping in touch with individuals, even if it's just one or two people, because let's face it, we run into meet, we meet people all the time and you, and you can't hold on to every single person that you meet, but you try to invest the time into the individuals as regularly as you possibly can. So a person like Gina, Kim, and I, who knew each other for all of two years, came into a station together, but that's my heart. I'm not letting that go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Me neither. And ladies, you know what the other factor is, I think, when, when we're talking about likability, before we can move on, I just have to say this. I think so often as women, we are our own worst critics. Yes. And so we tend to think about all of the negative qualities that we don't like about ourselves or things that we perceive about ourselves that we don't like. And so we, we tend to then think that other people are seeing these things or other people don't like us for who we are. And really a lot of that work starts with ourselves. And I know we talk about this on a lot of our podcasts, but that work starts within. So of course we need to be building these relationships, you know, outside of ourselves, but that work starts within us. This has been so insightful. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and your advice. Before we go, we are collecting advice from successful women in our communities and sharing it out with our Think Tank Forum. So we have three rapid fire questions for you. Number one, is there a lesson that you've recently learned that you wished you had learned earlier in your career? Chill the heck out. <laughs> That's what I would say. I'd get so overthinking about mistakes that I've made or things that I've said or things that I could have done differently. And sometimes when I go above those trees again and I take the bird's eye view, I realize it wasn't a big deal. What is the biggest piece of advice that you would offer to a woman in any career? Dive in. Don't spend so much time taking the temperature of the water. If you feel like you know how to swim that water, just try it. Worst thing that'll happen, you'll just get back out. But you've tried. I know that you've already touched on it, but so I think this will be more of a re-emphasis with regards to today's professional setting. Um, what do you feel the most important skill for a woman is? I do feel it's likability and relatability and relationship building. I know that's a three-part answer, but they all kind of, you know, are in the they same. They all work together. They're all in the same bucket, right? You can do something exceptionally well and you can be extremely talented at what you do, but that likability will carry you that extra last lap. Well, thank you, Gina, for sharing with us. Can you share the best way for our audience to connect with you if they have additional questions or maybe business interests? Yes, just email me, Gina at www.video.com. And I'm happy to answer their emails. Give me a little bit of time, cause you know, six year old Nico, NBC, but I'll respond for sure. 
And remember, that's Gina, J-I-N-A-H. Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. That's all for this episode of Think Tank of Three. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, send us a message at thinktankofthree at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Think Tank of Three wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with us online. We blog weekly at thinktankofthree.com. Follow us on social media. You can find us individually on LinkedIn and as Think Tank of Three on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Women, click to join our private group on Facebook where we can all share advice and articles. And if you liked what you heard in the podcast, share it. You can find Think Tank of Three on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, and SoundCloud.